This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. This month, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is delighted to have Alyssa Cole as our guest. Hi! So happy to be here. <laughs> Alyssa is a romance author specializing in historical stories featuring black protagonists, including a very popular series set during the American Civil War. I see from her bibliography that she also writes contemporaries in at least one series that looks like dystopian science fiction. Alyssa's historicals range from the 16th century up through the 20th century. But the story that led me to beg her to come on the show is That Could Be Enough, one of a trio of linked novellas in a collection titled Hamilton's Battalion, inspired by the musical Hamilton. Perhaps you could tell us something about the collection, how it came to be written, and what inspired the story you contributed to it. Sure. So Hamilton's Battalion um, was written along with two other authors, two amazing authors, uh, Courtney Milan and Rose Lerner. Courtney is an amazing historical romance author, and she also writes contemporary, and Rose is also an amazing historical romance author, and they are both, you know, we're all friends, and I admire their work so much, and we all fell in love with Hamilton, so we were, you know, if anyone follows Rose Lerner on Twitter, they would have seen, or on Tumblr, they would have seen for a certain period she was talking about Hamilton a lot. She's super into historical research, and Courtney and I were talking, and we and I had previously done some anthologies focusing on Black history, Black American history, romance novellas with a few other authors. Courtney had done some anthologies before, and we kind of were just talking about how, like, we were joking around one day, and we were like, "Oh, we should do a Hamilton anthology," and then we were like, "Is this a joke? Maybe it's not a joke." And who else could we ask to be in it? And then we were like, Rose, duh, <laughs> who loves Hamilton more than anyone we know, maybe. So then we asked Rose, and it, we came up with the basic idea that the stories would be linked by Hamilton's Battalion, which is the name of the, the anthology itself. And so we decided to have each story be somewhat related to Eliza Hamilton's interviews with uh, the soldiers who served under Hamilton. And that was just the basic guideline. And then later we decided that there would be a brief framework, but uh, we didn't really go in depth with each other with what our stories would be about. Like we gave each other the basic blurb for each story and kind of that's what I find so amazing that in the end, when all three stories were put together, they're kind of this like beautiful mosaic of what it means to be American and who is American. And we unintentionally, like, it's not like we sat down and said, okay, you're going to write a male male story. You're going to write an FF story. I'm, you're going to write a story about Jewish people. And they um, all have we, some aspect of marginalized identities. I wasn't sure whether that was part of the original plan or just came out of you know who you are as writers. 
I think it just came out of who we are as writers and also I think what each of us got from Hamilton in a way, which is uh, is about the white founding fathers, but the play itself features a super a very diverse cast, diverse music, uh, you know, music drawn from di- different disciplines, primarily hip-hop. So I think we just kind of, you know, each of us, I'm sure, was listening to that soundtrack <laughs> so many times. Um, I actually got to go see Hamilton with Courtney, oh, and yeah. which was amazing. So we basically were both just sitting there, like, trying not to cry and scream. Uh, we were in the very last row of the theater, but it was still an amazing show, no matter what seat you're in. Yeah, I, um, I tell people that it is the only thing I have seen in the last decade that is better than the hype. <laughs> I know, I was like, oh man, what if it doesn't live up to the hype? And yeah, it's I surpassed it by far. So I think, yeah, it was like somehow the feeling that the show inspired in us was kind of, each of us translated it in our own way and wove it into our stories. And so there are like similarities in the tone and the characters being marginalized and things like that. But I think that's just because each of us kind of, that was something that appealed to each of us on an individual level. And then when the anthology came together, it just worked out really well. Yes, and, and I, I understand, I, I have to confess, I've only read your story in the collection, but I understand that the characters in each story get get little shout-outs tying the whole thing together in, in the other stories. Uh, yes, after we were done with our original stories, we then kind of... And also, um, and my, so my story doesn't actually feature someone who was in Hamilton's Battalion, I have a previous, I previously wrote um, in, a pre, in another anthology, but it's now released as a standalone, a Revolutionary War set story um, with a black hero and a black heroine. And that story is the heroine has run away, she's a slave who has run away and um, joined, she is now in a British camp because the British offered freedom to any enslaved people who would run away from their Patriot Masters. Uh, the hero is a black man who is also a slave who is fighting in his master's stead in return for uh, he will receive his freedom for that. And so they're kind of, you know, they have different ideals and are trying to they meet and when he is captured and becomes a prisoner at the camp. And um, so they have their love story, and the heroine, and that could be enough, is the granddaughter of those, uh, of that hero and heroine, and she, uh, the story is set up that she goes to the interview with Eliza Hamilton um, and her grandfather, who eventually served under Hamilton, uh, she goes to visit Eliza in his stead because he is not feeling great, and that's how she ends up meeting the other heroine of the story. And the other heroine, Mercy, is serving as secretary for the for the interviews. Yes, uh, so she's um, a maid who is uh, a free black woman who is working as a servant in Eliza Hamilton's house, and um, she ha- she can read and write, and so she is also serving as a secretary and helping with the monumental task of interviewing all these people, compiling all of this information about Hamilton. 
So I want to talk a bit about some of the sort of background research you did. Now, obviously, you've written in this era before, but I loved the the detailed feel of New York City at that time and your your sense for the neighborhoods and the the street life. Um, you want to talk about how you go about researching um, historic periods? Um, sure. So for this book, there were a few books that were extremely helpful. Um, I am going to pull them up on my Kindle now. One, for example, is called Root and Branch, um, African Americans in New York and East Jersey. Uh, it's by Graham Russell Gow Hodges. But there are several books and also um, several like dissertations and research papers about um, African-Americans in colonial New York and also African-American women in colonial New York and women in, uh, during this time period. So um, I tried to access lots of, if I could find paintings or descriptions, firsthand descriptions of people living in New York. And when I found something in the book that was interesting, I would try to see if there was a note for it and see if I could track down the original information, like if it was a, a, some, a description from a letter or something of that sort. So I tried to, part of it was imagination, but part of it was trying to, you know, and I grew up in New York. So that, to me, this was also, you know, a little bit of a, a love letter to New York because I don't live there anymore. So when I do write about it in my stories, I try to add those little details that would make it feel real for people and for the characters. As far as the research, like trying to, to get firsthand accounts and just going through all these stories and just like the day-to-day -day activities and then thinking, okay, well, if they were doing this, these activities, then there would be these kinds of establishments. And, and also just from growing up in New York and going to south street seaport every weekend where there are the cobblestone streets and some many of the structures are still are from colonial times or for uh, you know that have been preserved or um reproductions or so there i've always kind of had in the background of my mind the experience and love for colonial new york because you know when you're a kid it's like oh cool the streets are different here and all of the houses look different and then as you get older you realize oh okay you know, there was a lot of history here. My parents were very into taking us to um, museums and stuff like that. So we would go to, for example, the South Street Seaport, and they have you can get on the ships and raise the sails and learn about, like, you know, shipping in colonial times. And I didn't retain all of that information <laughs> that we got on the tours. But, you know, the basic feel and setting, there are some things that, you know, somewhere in the back of my Im imagination, I can pull, draw from some actual experience of, the, of walking down these cobblestone streets and seeing what those, you know, squat brick buildings look like. Yeah. So it's research, but also um, just growing up in the New York area. One of the things I love about New York City is that you can just turn a corner and then sitting there right between a couple of modern skyscrapers, there's a federal era building just sitting there yeah, yeah. still surviving. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's like little Easter eggs all over the place. <laughs> so one of the things I loved about the relationship between Mercy and Andromeda in your characters in That Could Be Enough was how grounded it was in the mores of the time. So Mercy had some previous bad experiences and ex relationships with women who, who couldn't imagine 
that sort of relationship being permanent or enduring. But the characters didn't have uh, you know, modern views about same-sex love. They didn't have modern psychological anxieties about it. How did you approach developing that part of the story? And was it a challenge to research? It was a bit of a challenge to research. One source I drew out from was the book Charity and Sylvia, A Same-Sex Marriage in Early America. It's by Rachel Hope Cleves. And that book gave a lot of helpful information about kind of how these things were perceived. The overall story follows one woman who was a lesbian and kind of uh, her relationships, which were often seen as friendships. Then sometimes when other people discovered they were more than friendships, you know, they were discouraged or she wasn't allowed to see the women anymore. Or sometimes women were just like, well, I'm moving on with my life. And um, basically, it's about how eventually, when she did, you know, meet the woman that she would spend the rest of her life with, they were accepted by their community. And that kind of really rang a bell with me, because I feel like a lot of what I write about when I'm writing historical romances about marginalized people, there's always this kind of idea that, well, you can't write a romance about that, because how would they be happy? How would they have a happily ever after? And how would they live, you know, in this world that was basically designed to be cruel to them. But I think that people forget when they think about the world, they often forget that the world is made up of small communities or communities, small and large rather. And, you know, some people can go their entire lives without leaving their community. Or even if they do leave their community, if they, and they can come back and like part of their happiness in life particularly, I guess, in this time period, was whether or not you were accepted by your community. And there's this idea that any type of difference was not accepted. But this isn't historically accurate. There's something that me and Courtney were talking about. There's historical average and historical accuracy. So, like, on average, people, I guess, people from marginalized groups could be expected to be treated poorly, but that doesn't mean that no one was treated, no one lived happily, or uh, no one lived in a community where they were able to live freely uh, and were accepted and had friends and family who were fine. Yeah, and I I think a lot of modern readers simply don't grasp that, that, you know, gender relations were different in the past, that because societies were often very gender segregated, the idea of two people of the same sex having a close, lifelong uh, companionship was utterly normal. And, and yes, <laughs> um, and like you know, was, I also drew from the I researched Boston marriages, which is basically what you were describing. You know, women who would life live together and be lifelong friends and work together often times. Um, And it wasn't seen as anything strange. They weren't harassed or anything for that. Because there is a different, there was, you know, like you were saying, there is a difference. It wasn't like, it wasn't wasn't odd. There wasn't an assumption that such relationships were sexual. Yeah. Even if they were. Yes, exactly. So, you know, if people got caught doing, engaging in sexual behavior, that's something different. And again, it wasn't always so it was often treated harshly and it was against the law in many places. But again, it depends on the community of people. Even if people think that maybe they 
don't particularly care because it's not their business. Or as they say, hey, as long as it's not hurting me, you know, what's the big deal? So I think there, yeah, sometimes there are very modern ideas of acceptance and um, because I feel like, you know, we even all had uncles and people who didn't explicitly and or aunts who didn't explicitly say that they were gay or lesbian, but and the family didn't particularly say, but everyone kind of knew. And it was just like, okay, well, that's how it is. And, like, no one, like, bothered them or talked badly about them. So I think, like, there can be... And I was I saw something, um, the Medieval POC, which is a, a site that um, kind of draws attention to the fact that there have always been people of color in the world. Yeah, and she a lot is of an it, absolutely um, fabulous researcher. <laughs> and, in fact, I dedicated my third novel to her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was, you know, she has been, the research that she does has been so incredibly helpful to so many people. But the other day she tweeted, uh, she shared something. Another person who, unfortunately, I cannot remember their name, tweeted, and it's called the Tiffany problem. Uh-huh, yeah. Which, <laughs> which is basically that people, if you had a medieval book and you had someone named Tiffany, people would be like, what the hell? This is so anachronistic. Why is she named Tiffany? When in fact, Tiffany was a name that existed at that time. And it was, uh, a, I think, a, an alternate name to Theophany. Theophany, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the Tiffany problem, I think, can apply to so much, so many historicals, or basically all historicals with marginalized people who are not miserable and <laughs> being crapped on and beaten and treated terribly. Because anytime that happens, people are like, oh, was that really going on at that time, during that time period? Wasn't everyone miserable? And like, the thing that I always kind of go to, or my go-to response to this, my two go-to responses are, number one, people will happily read a romance we're a woman, a male-female romance uh, with two, you know, cis white leads who are where the woman is doing all kinds of, you know, traveling the world or going into all max or, you know, a, a serving girl, like talking back to a duke and things like that, that, you know, are fun to read about, but if, in real life, obviously could happen, but... <laughs> Uh, historically average, a serving girl who talked back to a duke would not end up being his wife. She would be kicked out or worse. Yeah, so one, like, of, <laughs> one, one of the, the rules I have to remember for myself is never hold my, my queer historical characters to a higher standard than the uh, straight white ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that would be a good rule for everyone because, like, um, and I think it is hard because we have generally been given, uh, since we had so much of the same, um, not the same stories, because obviously every romance is different, but kind of overall the same uh, character types, which have generally been white and straight. So seeing anyone else in those roles can be, can be uh, jarring. Uh, so I think it's changing. I think it's slowly changing in people, like even just over the past five years, you can see the change in how receptive people are to these things. And, you know, that, I mean, and I don't just mean the people who are, fe like, who are featured in the book. I think 
it's gaining more people are broadening their horizons as they read and saying, oh, well, I don't have to read a book that only books that feature people that look like me or who I have always been told could have a happy ending. Um, so, you know, hopefully, not slowly, hopefully quickly, it becomes more accepted. So that leads nicely into my next question. As far as I've been able to track down, that could be enough, appears to be the only story you've written about a relationship between two women. Do you see yourself tackling another same-sex romance in the future? Um, yes, I do. Actually, I do have a contemporary one planned for this year, likely around Christmas time or early 2019, because in my my contemporary romance coming out, when is that, next week? A Princess in Theory, it's royalty romance. The prince's um, assistant is uh, a lesbian, and she is non-binary, gender non, you know, she, she, her thing is that she's a dandy, I don't know if you've seen, like, the African dandies who, and they're called sepkers, and, and depend if it's a francophone country, but, so, you know, she usually dresses in men's clothing, and she, the background of this book, she is kind of having her own romance that doesn't work out but she will be having her own novella where she gets her happily ever after. Oh, that's sweet. So I was noticing your bio says that in addition to being a romance writer, you are a science editor. So how originally did history come into the equation in your life? Has it always been a love of yours? Was there something particular that started you down the road of writing historicals? I have always, I was a huge nerd as a child. <laughs> Like, you know, the the typical always reading a book would get so absorbed in a book that someone could be screaming in my ear and I would not hear them at all. Um, I also was really into the History Channel. This is when they used to actually show historical documentaries. Uh, like, yeah. Now I think they show a lot of, like, alien shows and stuff. But this is when they, you know, they were having actual historical documentaries, like a lot about World War II, because I think this is like when... Yeah, that's back when we called it the, the H in History Channel was for Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there was... I haven't written any World War II stuff, but the History Channel was like, you know, very informative in me being obsessed with kind of a, you know, wartime conflict. You know, I loved reading books with history in them. And one of the one of the first romance type books that I loved and that I know I definitely imprinted on <laughs> has shown itself in uh, like sometimes when I see the pattern of things I've written, I'm like, oh, I feel like, and especially the Revolutionary War romance. When I was, I think I was nine when I first read it. It was in my fourth grade classrooms library. The book is called Anne of the Wild Rose Inn by Jennifer Armstrong. And it is a middle grade romance book. I don't even know if that exists anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I think they would just be called YA now. Uh -huh. uh, and it's the series is the Wild Rose Inn. And like, I think it follows one inn in Marblehead, Massachusetts. And uh, the girls who live there in different time periods. Well, I, I loved the series like that when I was a kid. That was how I learned so much of my history. <laughs> yeah, it was, 
super informative. Um, and also this, the, the love, the romance is between uh, Anne, whose family owns the Wild Rose Inn, and whose brother is, you know, into treason against the crown. <laughs> and she falls for a guy she sees at the beach, and then he picks up his coat. No, no, he's a British soldier. Oh, of course. But he's Irish, and, like, you know, th- things work out in the end. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that was, you know, a very formative book for me. Um, and then when I was older, you know, I always loved romance stories and romantic movies. And um, when I really got into romance novels, I actually started with, like, my mom's Jennifer Cruzies that I really loved. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I read, like, you know, Danielle Steele and Anne Rice and stuff like that that aren't romance. Then I got into Judith McNall and... Oh, Judith, why, am I, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, Judith McNaught. And Julie Garwood. Judith McNaught and Julie Garwood. And, like, just went down historical rabbit hole. Eventually, I started getting more into... I had stopped reading as much nonfiction. But I started getting into... Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates had a blog on The Atlantic. Uh-huh. And uh, he talked about a wide variety of things, but he was also really, basically whatever he was interested in. And I got into it because I saw a link, he was talking about a comic book or something, and I was like, oh, cool. And then I just kind of would read it every day, and he started talking about history. And it was like, all of these amazing things. And like, you know, he was talking about stuff that he had never learned, but it was also stuff that most of us had never learned. And so as I was, and this is also around when I was first starting to seriously write romance and I loved historicals and I was like but I had always kind of been like well I can't really write historicals because you know slavery and people being assholes to to other members of the human race but when I started reading and like finding you know stuff about history and then I would go and you know find other books about it and do more research about it and I was like oh okay um I was like, maybe there is, maybe I, I will write it. Like, I think there's a way it can be done where the bad stuff is addressed, but also that is not the only thing that the characters experience, where negative things are not the only things the characters experience and where marginalized people are able to find happiness because obviously they did because I'm here and yeah. my friends are here and you know yeah we don't it, have it's to, possible we don't have to ignore all of the awful things in history but but there was always some happiness to find there were people found ways to be happy yeah and when i think about that i think about because i don't live in the u.s right now um even though i do you know follow everything closely most of my friends and family live there and i've only not lived there it's only been three and a half years or so since i moved when I see, like, these news reports and all of this, like, terrible stuff in the news and shootings and conspiracies and all of these things, like, if someone came back, I mean, even right now, but let's say, like, 50 years from now, someone just picks up the newspaper or scrolls through an archived Twitter feed of current events, they would say, wow, this, this time period was terrible. <laughs> people couldn't leave their houses without fear of getting shot and women were going through horrible things and being subjugated and minorities were being, uh, you know, Muslims were being barred from entering the country and, you know, women were having their reproductive rights taken away. Like, you know, there, yeah, yeah. 
these are the bold strokes of the time period. These are what will stand out years from now. But that doesn't mean that none of us are, that people aren't having fun, aren't living their lives and going to work and finding romance and having weddings and having children and living happily in the midst of all of these things that years from now will seem incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was wondering if you had any other upcoming projects that you'd like to tell the listeners about. I know you mentioned you have a novel coming out soon. Um, uh, what was it? A princess in theory. Yes. So that's coming out on February 26th. So if people wanted to follow you on social media, where would you suggest they find you? I am on Twitter. Uh, that's where I usually am. Uh, my name is at Alyssa Colit, L-I-T. I am on Instagram under the same name. And if you like pictures of chickens and dogs, <laughs> <laughs> so you should check it out. Um, and I am also on Facebook, though I don't, I'm not usually on Facebook, but I, I am there and I do check in from time to time. Okay, and I'll put that information in the show notes for people to find it. So thank you so much, for Alyssa, for being a guest on the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 